I was an atheist since the time I can remember. Although I'm a big fan of history and ancient religion stories, in my mind, all the record about God was just ancient people's ignorance and lack of knowledge. And Christianity is the same to me. I read some Bible stories from books in elementary school, but I only regarded them as nice stories. There were several big churches in my hometown, but I thought they were places for old, weak, and not well-educated people. Comparing with them, I chose to trust myself. Through my intelligence and hard working, I could find a way to solve problems in my life and achieve my goals. Everything in my life went very well, but at the same time, as I grew up and knew more about the society, I sometimes felt sad and disappointed. Although China is growing strong very quickly, people are becoming richer in material life. The traditional Chinese virtue is decaying. People are using every effort to seek power and money, satisfying their personal desires, and the society is lacking in love and caring for each other. And influenced in this environment, many young people's view on world and life is twisted. In 2011, I was awarded a support from Chinese government and started a two-year visiting study at Baylor University. I thought it is not a good idea if I only spend the whole time on study and research. I wanted to take advantage of this opportunity to improve my English, to feel American culture, to know their working and living style, and to get special experience in my life. And going to church seemed to be a very good choice in achieving these goals. I was soon attracted by these Christians. First is their attitude to other people. Even to me, a stranger, a foreigner, a non-Christian, they are so friendly, giving me a lot of care and help. I felt love and warmth in their hearts. Another thing caught my attention is that these people are always happy and have peace, even when they are suffering from great difficulties in their lives. These are the characters I don't have, and I wanted to own them too. With the interest on Christianity, I began to read the Bible when I had nothing to do. I also got some more idea about Jesus and Christianity from the sermon pastors gave, the Sunday school, and so on. During this period, I was touched several times. But as a student for many years in science and engineering, I knew the feeling is unreliable. I only trusted the truth, and I had to find a reason whether to accept it or reject it. I began to read the gospel more, quick, more seriously, and more and more questions kept challenging me. If Jesus is crazy, who thought himself is God? Why are his words so reasonable? Even touched me, a non-Christian's heart. If he was a liar, why did he die for the lie? How can he tell people to be faithful? Why so many people, including lots of smart and distinguished scientists and artists, choose to trust him? If he was dead, why his disciples who lost the faith when he was arrested were willing to die for preaching his words after his crucifixion? I could not help but thinking on this day and night, and suddenly I realized that I could not deny it. I made the decision to become a Christian. I trust that Jesus died for me at the cross to pay for my sins and purchased a place for me in heaven. I also trust that he will guide my life as long as I yield my life to him. I know it will not give me the wealth, but I enjoy the joy and peace it gives to me. 
I know in future, a lot of people in China will see me as a weird person. But I would like to bring the same friendly warmth I felt here to them. And this is my testimony. Xiao Wu in Waco, Texas, USA. Um, that's a powerful testimony of God's grace. Matter of fact, shall follow this up with an email to Grant. And he said, thanks again for baptizing me. Although I'm going back to China, the place I grew up now as a Christian, get this, but now as a Christian, my root is at here, Waco Fellowship Bible Church. I will never forget this wonderful and meaningful two years being here. And I hope I can keep contacting with you and the church in the future. Do you get that? It's, his root is now here. And, I, and we play this testimony also because I, I think it illustrates well the passage that we're going to look at this, this morning in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19. And I want to read it to you and I want you to follow along because, again, I think this story, the testimony, illustrates the flow of this passage. And listen to this. Listen to the words from the writer of Hebrews. He says this, verse 19. Therefore, brethren, since we have, notice this, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way with which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us. Draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is, is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And I think that illustrates because there's two phrases that stand out in there. First of all, it's what we have, what we have in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, and what, what that, that new possession calls us to, or the privileges it provides for us, that is the, the let us. And as I think of the story and the testimony that was given, it's amazing now to understand what, what Shao now has or what he has in Christ because of the, his belief in the person and work of Christ. This, this man who was once an atheist can now draw near to God in his most holy place. This man who, who once before had put trust in himself, he can now hold fast his hope, which is the person of Christ. This man who at one time thought that, that Christians were weird and weak, he can now consider one another and stimulate believers to love and good deeds. And he's already doing that by his testimony, is he not? You and I have some precious possessions in Christ. And those precious possessions call us to at least three I'm going to share here today, three wonderful privileges that you have to live out in Christ. 
So first of all, we're going to look at the we have. And the, the first we have is this. It's we have access through Christ. We have access through Christ. Now, just to set the tone a little bit here, this book, is, this, this passage is the great turning point in the, in the book of Hebrews. It's written to a group of Jews who were made up of believers, and some, I believe, were just mere professing believers. And because of certain pressures that are going on in society and their own doubts and questions, their own life, there is this, this movement where it seems that some of them are, are falling away from Christ and are being moved to go back to Judaism. And the author of Hebrews, whoever it is, comes and he writes and he says, look, don't stop now. Don't stop pursuing Christ. Don't, don't go back now. Keep going. And here's why. Because all that was that was in the old covenant. That's no comparison to what you have now in Christ. All that which was in the old covenant, it just pointed to Christ. It could never provide you forgiveness of sins. It only pointed to your need of forgiveness for sins. But in Christ, it has been accomplished. In Christ, it's better. And so therefore, he says, therefore, in view of that, and then he takes one last shot and in these, these two or these three verses here. He, he, he says, let, let me summarize it for you just one more time, just in case you forgot. Let me summarize it for you. And so he says, first of all, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. Now, the average Israelite under the law would never in his wildest dreams ever imagine himself going into the Holy of Holies, which was resided in the tabernacle and the temple, which was symbolic of the presence of God. He would, he would, he would never imagine himself going in there. Only the, the high priest once a year for, for a few terrifying moments after himself being cleansed would, would kind of peel back the, the veil of separation that separated the Holy of Holies from the, the other parts of the tabernacle and temple. Only for a few terrifying moments would, would he kind of peel it back and, and, and go into this mysterious place of God's holiness in order that he might offer an atonement for sin on behalf of the Nations of, of Israel as he sprinkled blood on the mercy seat to just, just cover it for a year. And they would have to do this year after year. And so with that background in, in your mind and imagine that, imagine the process of these Jewish believers listening to all that the writer of Hebrew had been saying. And now here he says, and do this, you can enter the presence of God, he's saying, and you can do it with confidence or, or, or boldness. And, and that was a radical concept for them to grasp. The word for confidence, literally, in the Greek, it means speech beside. You, you can speak beside. It was depicted the opportunity to address a superior apart from fear or apprehension. That's what it was used for. As you could actually go to a superior and you could address them without fear or apprehension. And that's what he's saying. You, you can come and you, you can come confidently and you can come boldly in the presence of God. And how is this possible? Well, he says that right there for us. Is it anything we've done? No, look at the text. He says it's by the blood of Jesus, representative of his total work of sacrifice, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. 
That is, the high priest would never go into the Holy of Holies apart from blood. Never. He would never go in apart from blood. He just didn't saunter in there some, whenever he felt like it. It was only on that day of atonement with, with the blood that had been placed on him and the blood that he would be taking in there that he would enter. And here's the truth for us too. You and I, we could never enter the Holy of Holies apart from blood. We could never enter into the holiness and presence of God apart from the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on our behalf and accounted to our account. That's the only way. It's a new and it's a living way because the old way, the old covenant, again, as I said, all the old covenant could do, all its types, all its shadows, all those sacrifices, all of its religious practices, all that it did was point to the need of forgiveness for sin and the need of a Savior. And it was fulfilled in Christ. And it was in Christ that He brings a new covenant by His shed blood. A covenant where He would actually come into us through His Holy Spirit. And He would actually change our hearts inwardly. It's a new, it's a living way. It's living because it brings new life to us, spiritual life, because of the resurrected life of our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's a new and it's a living way. And it was accomplished as He made a way, as He inaugurated it through the veil that is His flesh. That is, there used to be that veil that that separated the Holy of Holies. And the only way that we could go through that is that if another veil, the flesh of Jesus Christ, was torn for us. You remember when Christ died on the cross? When it speaks in Matthew chapter 27, in that moment when He gave up His Spirit. And at that moment it tells us that in the temple, that this veil, this veil that was probably about the, the thickness of a man's hand, it, it was rent in two. You think that was by accident? It was a picture of what actually happened on the cross. A new and a living way. And so we have access through Christ. And He calls us to come confidently and boldly. I don't know about you, but I don't like to take things back to the store when I don't have a receipt. You know, you ever get that feeling you're like, you know, you know, wife will be like, yeah, you need to take that back. And you, you kind of go in and you're kind of like, uh, here's my thing. Can you, can you take this back? And I come in real weepish, you know, kind of, will you take it? But when I have the receipt... And I know I've paid the price or the price has been paid and I have the receipt. I come in, hey, here, I'll bring this back. I want, I, want a, I want a new one. You come in with boldness. Say, take this back. And the reality is you and I can go boldly to God because the receipt is in Jesus Christ and it's been paid for us. And so we can come confidently when we access to Him. That's an amen, okay? Thank you. I know we're sparse in here, so you've got, you got, you got to fire me up a little bit. Okay, Todd? You've got to do it. Thank you. Thank you. There's another aspect of this, too, though. Look at this. Here's some more good news. We also have ongoing advocacy in Christ. Look at it. It says, since we have a great priest over the household of God, that is, the priest that we have in Christ, who is our priest, 
who is our great high priest, as it says in other texts, he ministered a better covenant, a better one than that old covenant. He has a new covenant. I've already told you the benefits of that. Not only that, but he, he ministered a better sacrifice himself, who is God, a perfect sacrifice. He ministered a sacrifice not year after year after year after year. Oh, we've got to do this again. got to do this again. No, he said, I offered a sacrifice once and for all, and I sat down on the right hand of God. It's paid. It's done. So quit trying to bring me your sacrifices, your stuff, your religiosity. I'm your advocate, and I'm telling you, I paid it. And look at this. He's the great high priest over the house of God. That is all that have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. They are all the house of God now. And get this. What's his neat? He doesn't just tabernacle and, and temples and things anymore. He tabernacles in us. Our, high, our priest, our great priest, through the power of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit, is, he, 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 he dwells in us now. We're his temple. We're the house of God. You see, God does not just merely, or Christ does not just merely provide access for us. He actually takes us into the presence of God with him. Look at, look at this passage up here, Ephesians 2, verse 4. It says this, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And get this, And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That is, we may not actually be there yet, but in God's mind, because of our identification with our great priest, Jesus Christ, we're already there. We're already there. And he stands there as our advocate. In essence, he's saying, hey, yeah, that, that one, that one's mine. Yeah, that one over there. Yeah, I know what they did, but, but I pay the price and they've come to me in faith and they're mine. All right. It's like they're sitting here right with me. We have, we have advocacy with the Father. He takes us right into the place, or Christ takes us right into the place of the Father. And get this, though. Unlike the Old Testament priest, our great priest, Jesus Christ, he will take us into heavenly places, and he will continually represent us before the Father. Look at Hebrews 7, verse 23. Get this. You're going to love this one, all right? This is one you got to underline, all right? I know some of us don't like to underline the Bible, but this might be one you just lightly do it in pencil or something. Listen to what it says here. The former priest, on the one hand, Existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. But Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues, get this, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. It, it doesn't stop. He, he still gives us access. He, he still advocates for us. Therefore, he is able also to save how long? What does it say there? No, I can't hear you. That, yeah, forever. You're not losing this salvation He's provided for you, folks. He's able to save you forever. Those who draw near to Him, to God, through Him. Since He always lives, get this, He always lives to make intercession for them. He's always there before the Father saying, I'm representing her. I'm representing Him. They're mine. She's mine. I've covered their sins. 
Come on, he says. He's there as a reminder to us. Come on. You can, you can approach boldly. You can come. You can come. Because I stand here and I represent you. We have access and we have advocacy. So what we have, then he now comes and he says, here, here's what we need us to do. Let us do some things. Because of what you have, what I've just spent, what he's just spent, one, chapter 1 through 10, verse 18, expositing to these people. He says, now, in response to all these truths of what you have in Christ as your high priest, let us do this. The first is this, draw near. He says, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. What he's talking about here is he's talking about communion. He's talking about close, intimate fellowship with God. Folks, this is the centrality of the gospel. This is the part of, of, of the good news. This is what mankind was created for in the first place. And this is what the access and advocacy of Christ makes possible. Did you know we are created for a relationship with God? Too many times, here's where we get, get ourselves in, okay? Too many times we say we know that Christ died for our sins. And we believe Him and we say, alright, I've got my fire insurance, I'm good to go. And, and that's true. He, he did, did die for our sins. He did die to keep us from going to hell. But that's only half the gospel, folks. That, that's, that, that's only part of it. He, he didn't just save us from something, okay? He just didn't save us from hell. He actually saved us to something or to someone himself. He saved us from sin and hell and eternal separation so that we might come and we might relate with Him for eternity. And here's why I say this. Because people come, they receive their salvation, but they stand still farther away from God than He would desire them to. They're in relationship with Him, yes, but he says, I don't want to just, I don't want you just to be my child. I want you to be my child and, and walk closely with me and, and talk with me and, and be with me. And it's not because he really needs us. He doesn't. It's because he loves us and he knows what we were created for and he knows what's best for us. And that is communion with him. And he made that way possible through Christ. So draw near. And we say, how? Well, look what it says there with a sincere heart. Sincere has to do with true, genuine, and real. It has to do with coming to God with a, a wholeheartedness, to your, your whole being. You, you ever, ever talk to those folks? You ever been introduced to folks before? And you get in this conversation, and as you're talking to them, and they're talking to you, and they're smiling, but at the same time, they're talking and they're smiling to you. They're, they're kind of looking past you. I mean, they're, they're talking and they're smiling. I'm guilty. I've done this myself, by the way. And, and they're talking with you, and they're, they're kind of looking past with you, and you're like, they, they, don't, they don't really want to really talk to me. I mean, I know they are. I know they're going through the motions and stuff, but their heart's not really in it. You ever felt that before? Come on. We do that to God. We, we, we thank Him for His, his salvation, and then we kind of, yeah, God, I'm here. Yeah. And at the same time, God, we're, we're here, and we're looking at this, and we're looking at that, and this. And, and He says, no, no, no. Come, look, look me in the eyes. 
come, come have a face-to-face relationship with me. It doesn't mean those other things are important, but there's got to be a times when we're drawing close to God so that when we go out and we're dealing or looking at those other things, that is, we're dealing and looking at those other things out of the overflow of a relationship with God. We've got two questions we've got to ask ourselves. The first is this. What stirs our affections for God? When we think about drawing close to God, we've got to ask the question, first of all, what stirs our affections for God? I want you to think about it. What, what stirs your affections for God? Now, part of this, it has to be the Word of God in prayer. Okay? It, it, it's an absolute. That's how God speaks to us, and that's how we communicate to Him. It's His Word in prayer, and I've got to be involved. But, but, but after that, what is it in your use of God's word and prayer? What is it that stirs your affections? Let me, let me illustrate this. This is what, what stirs affections in me. I love on certain days to be able to get up. And, and usually on Sunday mornings, I love to get up and, and have a cup of coffee. And I, and I love, and you say, what, what's the spiritual about coffee? Just hang with me for a minute, all right? I love to have a cup of coffee and put my sweetener in it, my milk, and, and, and I love to, to sit down on the couch, and I've got my Bible. And, and then I love to take out my iPhone and, and put on my headphones, and, and I pull out a, a song. Maybe it's Great as Our God or, or, or something else. And what that does is it, it begins to turn my affections and, and my thoughts to... Yeah, God, I'm sleepy, I'm tired, and i got a big day to face, but you're, you're great, God. And, and I hear others singing it, and, and it starts to move me. And, so, and then I can dig into his word, or, or if I'm, I'm getting prepared, I can read over the sermon. And, 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 but in the back of my, my affections are turned to this great God that, despite me, he can use me. Some days it might be what helps me is because I get busy and my mind starts going so many directions. It's, it's me stopping at some point during the early part of the day and getting out a journal. And, and this isn't for everybody. And so I'm not saying do it like me. I'm just saying you find what stirs your affections with the word of God and prayer. But for me, I get and I, I have to do it because it slows me down. And I think about God. And I'm able to articulate actual praise to him. Or in the past, I remember when I was in college, I used to like to go to this place called the Gorge. It was a time for me to just get away and sit in this gorge. which had, a, had a, a creek running down it, and I could just stop and I could think about God. Whatever it is for you, maybe, maybe it's coffee or whatever it is, but what stirs your affections for God? And there's a second question we've got to ask as well. Not only what stirs our affections, but what robs our affections for God. What, what robs our affections for God? I used to love to watch this because uh, one of the things that does can do it for me is, is too much television. There's this one, I like detective shows, and one of the detective shows I like to watch was, it, it, it never had a good ending. Never. And my wife, the loving wife that she is on numerous occasions, would so say something like, well, how that make you feel? Or another good ending there, didn't it, Matt? I love my wife. She's, she's wise. I was like, yeah. This show didn't do anything to stir my affections for God. It just, 
overwhelming with the depravity of man. And I'm not beating on TV. I'm just saying, what is it that, that robs your affections of God? What if too much consumption of it can rob your affections of God? What, what is it? Maybe, maybe it's sports. And I love sports. Matter of fact, about a week or so ago, I shot a five under on nine holes of wee golf. Okay? I, I love it. It's good. But there's some brothers out there, you, you know, they, they get so excited about it, so pumped up about it. The day before the game, you said, brother, why are you so nervous? What's going on in you? He goes, my team is playing tomorrow. Why, why are you so nervous? Your, your team's playing tomorrow. And then you kind of look at him, you're thinking, like, are you, gonna, are you suiting up? I mean, is, is the coach putting you in the game? Come on, get real, buddy. You're, you're not in the game, Okay. But they're, 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 they're consumed with this. And again, I love, I'm, I will go home and watch some football, okay? But whatever it is, whether it's sports, what is it that might be robbing you because of too much affection of that over God? Then it says this, in full assurance, in full assurance of faith, that is having truly put your faith in Christ alone, that is, if, if you have, and that's the question you need to ask, you see, you can't come in full assurance if you never put your faith and trust in Christ. If you've never come to this place where you realize you're a sinner in need of a Savior and trusted in Christ and Christ alone, you can't draw near. Can't do it. So repent and put your faith and trust in Christ. But if you have, then come confidently. The way is sure. And this is what happens, though. I've said it myself, and people have said it to me, but Matt, you don't know what I've done even since I've come and put my faith and trust in Christ. So many times we as believers get stuck in our guilt and we think there's no way I can be as close to God as I once was. And Satan likes to whisper into our ears and go, you know, hey, you can't draw close to him. You know what you did? It's not true. Because we have a great high priest who says this, draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. Why? Get this. Having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That verb having there, it's, it's in a perfect tense, which speaks of an action completed in the past, but has continuing results or results even now. He's saying, look, I covered that. Remember, one of my, my favorite verses is this. Listen to this one. First John 2, 1 John 2.1 says this. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, get this, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He's saying, look, <laughs> he's saying, look, he steps up and says, I've got you covered. Come on. Don't stay away from me. Come. Draw close. And then he says this, let us hold fast. Look at this. Let us hold fast. It is hang on to the confession of our hope. Our hope being Jesus Christ, our perfect priest. Jesus Christ who paid it all once and for all. That, that, that's our hope. And he says, do this without wavering. Now, we've got to remember these folks are under pressure. And some of them are falling back, fearing persecution. And all these different things. And he's saying, look, take hold of it. Hold on to the confession of your hope. 
Hold it in your heart and then declare it, speak it out as well. But hold on and do that without wavering. And the reality is you and I have different pressures in our lives that will come along and it will move us to, to loosen our grip on the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. They'll tempt us not to hold fast. But I am encouraged by saints who have gone before me. And one is recorded in church history that, that when John Chrysostom, a notable Christian bishop and preacher from the 4th and 5th centuries in Syria and Constantinople, when he was brought before the Roman emperor and was threatened with banishment if he, if he remained a Christian, this was his reply. He says, you cannot banish me for this world is my father's house. Can you imagine that? You're, here you are before the emperor. And you're, you're saying this. He's saying, hey, you've got to stop being a Christian. He says, you cannot banish me. For this world is my father's house. And the emperor said to him, but I will slay you. He says, no, you can't. For my life is hid with Christ and God. Can you imagine that? He says, I will take your treasures from you. No, you cannot. For my treasure is in heaven and my heart is there. He says, I will drive you away from man. You will have no friend left. And then he says this. No, you cannot. For I have a friend in heaven from whom you cannot separate me. I defy you for there's nothing you can do. That can hurt me. I'd like to hold on to your confession of hope like that. That's what he's calling us to. And here's the reason why. For he who promised is faithful. He who promised is faithful. That is you and I. We have a God who's a promise keeper. We have a God who is a covenant keeping God. And he keeps his promises. He is faithful and we can hold fast to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Amen. And then he says this, he says, look, and knowing that it's hard for us to draw near and and hold fast on our own, he gives us a third let us and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Not forsaking our own assembling together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. That is, the Hebrew writer here is conveying a, a, a sense here that goes completely against our consumer-driven mentality that has slipped into the church. And here's why I want you to see this, and here's why I say it. Notice, in reality, in the Greek, the order is different than it is here because it just doesn't flow well in the English. But in the Greek, it literally says, consider one another toward the stimulating of love and good works. It's, it starts with the focus is consider one another. You notice that the focus is is on one another. He's saying, consider, think about others in the body of Christ is what he's saying. To consider means to place your mind down upon something that is God is calling us here. To put our minds down on fellow believers. He's saying, I want you to think about, I want you to, I want you to ponder, I want you to deliberate, meditate, maul over other people. And I want you to have this, this conscious goal in mind, and I quote, What can I do today so that they, these others, one another's, will be stirred up to love and good deeds? You ever ask yourself that question? You ask yourself that question when you come here on Sunday mornings or when you go to a small group or you meet with another believer. What can I do today that will stimulate love and good deeds in another brother in Christ? Now, one of the reasons we don't like to do this is because it's messy sometimes. Like, Matt, if I get considering one another and I get mixed up with other people, it gets messy. 
the other day, Samuel, um, he, uh, we were, him and I were fooling around and wrestling and he, he got tripped up and he fell and he hit his head on the, the cabinetry around our, our, our kitchen, our bathroom sink. So there we are trying to blood, get, you know, clean up the blood. I'm, I'm taking pictures of it and sending it to my doctor friends as I, like, Hey, does this need a stitch or do we just bandage it up? And then, then we have our, his sisters who are loving and, and caring, wanting to help him. And they, they so wanted to show love to him. They said, all right, let's get him some chocolate muffins. All right. And so they go after chocolate muffins. And, and as they're trying to get chocolate muffins, guess what they begin to do? I mean, they're, they're doing this loving thing for their brother. They start fighting over who will give him the chocolate muffins. And before you know it, one of them shuts the microwave door and one gets their hand caught or slapped in the, in the door. And there we have fighting with me taking pictures of blood and fighting over chocolate muffins. Fellowship and doing life together gets messy sometimes. And here, here's what God does. That's why he gives us the other one or other commands like forgive one another, bear with one another. That's why they're there. But don't use that as an excuse to not consider one another. So how do we do this? How do we come alongside one another and encourage one another, as it says in here? I'm going to just give you some real practical things to, to, to finish this out with. To encourage really means to, to it's parakaleo. It means to, to come alongside or to call alongside. And it's like you're coming alongside them and you're, you're speaking into their ear and you're, you're, you're stirring them along. You're doing life with them. What does this look like? I want to give you three arenas. First is this. The first is in the service. How do we come here in the service and actually encourage one another and stimulate one another to good deeds? The first is this. We actually come. Did you know that your presence is an encouragement? Did you know that your presence in coming here on Sunday mornings, it's an opportunity to go and look around and say, you know what? <clears throat> I'm not the only one who's trying to hold fast to my hope in Christ. Matter of fact, I'm encouraged to see all these other folks that are here too. They have come to draw close and to worship our Lord together. So we come. But when you come, don't just show up. I used to think when I was in uh, high school that, man, if I just made it for the message... <laughs> I got it in, okay? And then I learned there was so much more to it. There's something called, like, singing. You say, man, I don't sing so well. Clue, I don't either. You ever see me up here leading singing? There's a good reason why, okay? But your singing encourages my singing. Remember, you can't sing, just whistle, okay? You think I'm funny, but... I am funny, but it, it, the reason is I had a buddy in college. His dad just said that he couldn't, couldn't, he couldn't sing, so he whistled. And, I, and he was at one of those services at college, and I was listening. I was like, man, that dude, he really is whistling. He whistles good. <laughs> if that's your deal, whistle unto the Lord, okay? But come sing. Spur each other on. <clears throat> and listen. I mean, pray. Come and pray. It encourages me when I see other people praying. And listen, listen once more, because there might be something you hear that you can share with another brother or sister in Christ. How do we do this after service? Here's what I want us to do. I want us to do this. First of all, I want us to reach out. Each week, God is bringing to fellowship people who are guests. And they need ministered to or they have ministry they can offer to you. Each week, God may be bringing someone like a chow 
who, who didn't know Christ, who was an atheist, who sat here for months after months, and he watched us. He watched to see if this love, this thing about Christ was a real deal. And by how you reach out after the service, particularly those 10 minutes, you can make a difference in his life. So reach out and connect. Take time to really get to know someone. Consider one another. Look ways for ways to encourage them. And then introduce. Introduce folks to others. Help them make other connections. Invite. Invite them to a church picnic. Invite them to your small group. Invite them out to lunch. And then how do we do this in, in a smaller group setting? And I think this is the most crucial step. That is, you have to have a place where you can really do life together, where you can sit down and you can spend time with each other and get to know each other and spur each other on. And so small groups or some small group setting is a place for that. It's a place where we can actually do life, and you're wondering, what is life? And it's this. Our mission statement is to glorify God by living out the life we have in Christ. To do life to meet together means we love God together. We seek to worship him together. To do life together means we invest in others. We're investing in each other as we meet. We're encouraging each other. To do life together means together we're following his word. We're not doing this on our own. And it means that we're engaging our world for Christ. That we don't go and try to reach the world on our own, but we do it together. And we encourage each other and pray for each other as we reach out to the lost. We do it together. Now, I played basketball in college, and there was, there was nothing greater in basketball in college than having a home court advantage. We, we, I went to a small school, but everybody came to the game because there was nothing else to do in a, 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 a cornfield in Ohio. So they all came. We had a huge 100-piece band, a pep band. It was a fun place. But when things got going, see, what home court advantage occurs when the energy of the group magnifies what is happening on the court, okay? With home court advantage, a basketball team struggling to put points on the board, it hears the energy around them, and all of a sudden, some, they feel this the spark inside them to, to, to keep on going, to keep doing it, and you find yourself starting to perform even better. All of a sudden, that, that energy helps you to, to get past the opposition and, and get points that you, you couldn't, just couldn't get before, or get rebounds you couldn't before. Now, the fans in the stands are not physically going through the same thing, but they are joining them in spirit and in a way that gives the team a sense of power that they didn't have before. Strength appears out of nowhere, and it's because of this mysterious home court advantage. When we do life together, a mysterious home court advantage takes place. We begin to see God as we sing together. We begin to see God bigger than maybe we thought before. As we, as we do life together, we, we begin to kind of be moved and spurred. You know what? Hey, yeah, I, I need to draw closer to God too. As we do life together, we're, we're kind of spurred and strengthened. Yeah, I can, I can hold fast to this hope. It, it's true. I'm not, I'm not holding on to this by myself either. As we do life together, we begin to say, yeah, as I'm being stimulated to love and good deeds, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn around and encourage someone else. Let's, let's have that mysterious home court advantage. Let us do life together. Let us hold fast the hope we have in Christ. Let us draw close in communion with God because of what we have in our great priest, 
Jesus Christ. Dear God, we come and we thank you and we praise you for your word and your truth. We thank you, Lord, for what you have accomplished for us. And Lord, may we live in light of it. May we respond, Lord, as we live a life that seeks to draw close to you and enjoy your communion. As Lord, as we hold fast to your hope, the hope that we have in Christ, and as we consider one another. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray and all God's people said,